Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're double checking our Airbnb reservation and unearthing the secrets of Zach Kreger's 2022 film, Barbarian. my pick natalie and this was your pick this is my pick <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over your your usual role right now because you are the picker uh why did you choose this film give us some insight i chose this film partially because i wanted to do something kind of uh new to ring in 2023 last year was such a good year for movies guys like mm-hmm. if you do not follow us on social media we recently posted our like favorites from 2022 and literally every movie that we posted on that little Instagram post is like a fantastic movie. That's completely worth your time. And while barbarian wasn't my favorite movie that came out last year, um, it's definitely up there. Cause I had so much, this was my favorite theater going experience of 2022. Ooh. Like I will, I will just say that like I had the most really? fun in the theater watching this movie more fun than no yes what? i would say i had more fun watching this like actually more fun watching this than when i was watching nope nope i had a very emotional reaction to nope was my favorite movie that came out last year like okay out of all movies i think that like nope was fantastic <laughs> but this movie it scared me it surprised me and it made me laugh and i was like okay so i thought nope was fantastic but i did not find nope scary and Fair. I yeah. thought that like, like the only movies that really scared me that came out last year were like this and Watcher, and um, unfortunately, I think Smile was also kind of scary. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I thought it was scary. Well, Smile just has jump scares, <laughs> but like some of those were really effective. <laughs> I have not seen that, but I was going to say Watcher is definitely scarier on a like more on a deeper, <laughs> deeper, just dis- yeah. more disturbing level. I was scared watching Watcher. Like, I was like, I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of it. And I was like, I am, like, afraid to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I, and didn't you? You saw it in theaters, didn't you? Right? I did, by myself. Yeah. I remember oh, you saying that you were, like, the only girl in that theater, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Did anyone sit directly behind you? No, no one sat directly behind me. Okay. I think I was in the back. So, like, thank fucking God I chose to do that. Because like, I didn't know, obviously, going in. Yeah. Oh, I had the same experience of being, like, the only girl in a theater watching men. Yeah. And that was an odd experience. Mm-hmm. Not nearly the same as, like, what Watcher would have been like. Mostly because you know? everyone was going to corner you after the movie. They're going to back you into a corner and be like, here's what the movie's about. I'm going to tell you right <laughs> now. Here's my interpretation of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that was a jab at film bros. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. You know, like, <laughs> here's what I think the movie's about. <laughs> Sorry. Honestly, I think that we you could probably make a case that this movie and men are doing similar things and saying some similar things. But Mm. I think that this movie is so much better than men. (laughs) Like, just... I didn't like 
either of those films that much. But I <laughs> I would agree with you that I do think that Barbarian is a better film than Men on like a watchability level and I think on a full scale level as well. Like yeah. just as a film, it does feel better. Not that there's not cool stuff in Men and it's not worthwhile, but it is not fun. I did not have a good time. I have to ask, you did say that your criteria for this were that it made you laugh, it made you scared, and it surprised you. Mm -hmm. I think it does fulfill all three of those things. Yes. I, the first time I watched this, I was really lukewarm on it because I liked, I felt like it started off with a lot of potential and then it it cut and it took it in a very different Mm -hmm. direction than where I thought it was going. So that can be viewed as a good thing or a bad thing. And to me, I wasn't too thrilled with it. The second time I watched it, I was like, okay, well, I'm already like ready for the divergence in the plot. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely got a lot more out of it. Just accepting like, here's what's happening. What can I get from this? Just accepting that fact. And then I liked it a bit more. I'm still kind of like more cold than hot on it, but I do see that there's, you know, meaning to be drawn from it. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I'm curious, having already given us those criteria, what made you like this so much more than any typical, you know, other movie that would surprise you or scare you? I don't know if I would say that I like it so much more than any other typical movie. Okay. But I would say, because like, I do think that, like I said, I do think this was one of my favorite movies that came out last year. And it was mostly because of that theater going experience, but also Mm -hmm. because I think that it is trying to do a lot and it's trying to do a lot of stuff we haven't really seen as much of in the genre, which I appreciate. I think that the divergence as you as you put it um in the film's middle really worked for me and especially after like kind of looking doing into doing a little more research into the movie and trying to get like what the writer director was wanting to do Mm -hmm. both in message and like how he was actually writing the script i think there's a quote from him i watched the featurette on this and there's a quote from the featurette where he's like I just started going and I was like, hey, if I can surprise myself, then I'm going to surprise the audience. So he just kept pulling some random shit. And I think it Mm -hmm. actually kind of pays off because I enjoyed that I had no idea what was going to happen watching this whole movie. I thought that was fun for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a positive and a negative thing. (laughs) Yeah. I thought this would be a good pick for the podcast because A, I know that we all did not have similar feelings about the movie after we all saw it. (laughs) I know that I liked it way more than both of you did. <laughs> I think I gave this a, I think I gave this four stars after I saw it. And I honestly stand by that. I think it is. I think it's a really good film. I think it did a good job. I did like it less watching it a second time. Cause like, once you know what happens, I think mm-hmm. in the ma- I think you lose a little bit of the magic, but that's because that's what I like in my movies. I like things that go kind of off the rails and become weird and campy. I think that it could have gone even further in that direction, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I wanted to talk about it with you guys because I do think that it is trying to say something. And I wanted to talk about how effective it was at saying those things that it was trying to say. Because I think that there are certain things that it gets across really well and certain things that it doesn't get across really well. And I thought it would be just a fun discussion for us to have because I think it's doing a lot thematically and with like a lot of different imagery. And I think even like the way that the film is shot is interesting and worth talking about, even if it's not something that both of you loved. If it had been more campy, I would have hated it. 
That's fair. <laughs> I would have loved it even more. <laughs> like I already like when it when it did that like jump cut to Justin Long. I was like, why? Why are you doing this? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then like the just like the very end of it when it starts to just really when it gets so full Evil Dead too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like trying to be funny and I was like, "Hey, this this isn't working." If it had leaned more into that, I would have just been like, I can't handle this movie. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like based on what I know about Heidi's tastes now or like her critiques of certain films, it seems like you like tonal shifts can either be really good for you or really bad. Like absolutely. Okay. It always seems like the shift in tone or the development of the tone or or the consistency, I should say, of the tone is what kind of jars you and, you know, puts you off sometimes. She likes things to be a certain way. <laughs> Don't we all? I do. <laughs> I think that says a lot about me as a, as a person, too. <laughs> that, like, if there's not a consistency in it, I don't think I like it very much. I mean, I get that. I like I like something to be coherent. I like it to yeah. like be nicely packaged and pretty. But I also appreciate... I can understand liking something that's a bit more, if you want to say messy or not as coherent or consistent just because it's sometimes fun to, you know, just kind of fuck with things and see what happens. So while my personal preference is to have something that's a little more, a little more tight, I guess, as far as the narrative goes, Mm -hmm. if I kind of accept like, this is just going to be kind of a wacky, wild ride, then it doesn't mean that it's devoid of meaning. In fact, a lot of films that are like that have a lot of meaning. And I think that's what Natalie is trying to get at that we'll we'll discuss here. But I can appreciate something for the camp as long as that's like, this is what this movie is. This movie is campy and it's not trying to like be something else. It definitely felt a little bit shoehorned in at the end for me. And I think that's part of the reason that I really didn't like that. The first time that that. I watched it in particular, I was like, this doesn't, this just feels out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And it almost like the first time that I watched it, it almost felt like they were making fun of me a little bit. And I didn't like that. I, I love movies that try to embrace like the disjointed sort of thing. I love tonal mm-hmm. shifts. I love when movies try to be more than one thing. Like that's something that I love in mm-hmm. any media. As far as I'm concerned, as long as you're giving me characters that I can like attach to and root for, which I think this movie does, mm-hmm. as long as you are executing twists in a way that makes a little bit of sense, which I think in the context of this universe is true. And as long as you are having fun with it, and like maintaining some sort of level of equilibrium, I'm I'm here with it. I think the thematic elements of this film is what ties all of the disparate parts together for me. Mm-hmm. So I can appreciate it more as a like a thematic package on a second watch. I do think it's not it wasn't as fun for me watching it again because I was like, okay, I know what's gonna happen now. Like that that cut to Justin Long, I was so thrown. Like that whole sequence, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, but like, I loved that. I loved being so surprised and like not knowing what was going to happen next. And I think that the end is fun because of that reason as well. But I can completely understand. I I completely get like what you guys are saying. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say actually, I think that what I think you made an excellent point too, and that even reading the movie in different ways, whether you like it or not, I think there's a difference between really focusing in and paying attention to the narrative structure Mm -hmm. and the plot versus the themes. So what, you know, how the movie develops 
plot-wise and how the film develops thematically. Because mm-hmm. I think the first time I watched it, I was paying a lot of attention to the plot and the narrative structure and being kind of thrown and questioning some storytelling decisions. Mm-hmm. And then the second time around, I was like, okay, well, this is the story. I'm accepting that. Now I'm going to view it and critique it thematically. And I did see more consistency in the themes. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually talked to a few different people who watched the movie specifically before listening to this podcast. And kind of the general reaction from them was more along the lines of like a a plot analysis, like, oh, this didn't make sense. I didn't understand why the character did this or that. And I found myself almost kind of pushing back a little bit and saying like, okay, yeah, like, I totally get your point. That didn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you think about it thematically, exactly what I think it's trying to demonstrate. So I almost found myself kind of like trying to explain thematically what was going on as kind of an argument for why the film does have merit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's interesting that you brought that up because I didn't think about how I was reading it. You know, you always have different lenses that you can read something through feminist, you know, uh, Marxist, you know, whatever. But then you also have the plot versus theme. Mm -hmm. Which is also why I think it's really interesting that Heidi brought up men because I feel like men is the same thing where like, if you're just watching it on paper, and like looking at the plot on paper, you're like, what the fuck? But then mm-hmm. if you think about it thematically, you're like, okay, this makes a little more sense. Not a lot more sense. Like, but <laughs> a little more sense. And like, I, I like, I can totally appreciate that kind of storytelling and that kind of filmmaking. And I thought it was really effective here. I can, once again, totally understand why somebody would not like this movie or not think it's effective. But I had a lot of fun with it. And I'm excited for us to talk about it today, like more in depth. Because I really want to know, like, what you guys thought about certain moments, and I really want to talk about, like, all of it. So, um... <laughs> well, and we also have to acknowledge that this movie was pretty well received by audiences when it came out. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it all over the place on the internet, like, you gotta check out Barbarian, it's the, you know, people are loving this. And so, whether you ended up liking it or not, it did generate a lot of buzz, which means people were talking about it, which means it's worth talking about. I, I I think that's one really important thing to keep in mind too when we're just talking about horror right now. Like the the current right now moment in horror is like it's blowing up. Like mm-hmm. it's more popular than it's been in a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of this hit the mainstream and we're seeing what's working with mainstream audiences and what isn't working with mainstream mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that this the fact that this movie was able to be released with such little fanfare and blow up purely because of word of mouth mm-hmm. says a lot about what audiences are looking for and what kind of like movie going experiences they're looking for as well like mm-hmm. this was a really fun movie to go to the theaters and see like it was a good experience yeah. to have and i think that says a lot about what we're looking for right now like i don't think that we're out of the thoughtful like quote unquote elevated horror era <laughs> no no there will always be that we always we rolling our eyes at that phrase but still <laughs> like um <laughs> i don't think we're out of that era i think that there's a place for that and there's a place for like that kind of intensity but mm-hmm. i think we're getting back to that feeling of like we want something that's going to be fun too like it's been a long time since we've had just like a bunch of really fun horror movies at the box office mm-hmm. but to kind of touch on what you were talking about in terms of the film's success this has a 92% approval rating on rotten tomatoes I think it has a pretty high letterbox score too, all things considered. Uh, it's sitting at a 3.7 average for a horror movie is pretty high. <laughs> yeah, sure. And it made $45 million worldwide on a $4.5 million budget. Like, wow. this was a small movie that 
blew up like it was so Mm -hmm. popular and i think that it deserves that i think that it's i think that it's interesting i think it's new i think it's fresh and i am happy that it was received well i hope we get more fucking weird shit like this in the coming years (laughs) (laughs) well i think we did a fabulous job of actually not spoiling too much in our intro here i agree we usually like talking about the end of the movie by this point so good job. i would like to say right now okay hey audience listeners if you haven't watched it yet (laughs) we recommend you go watch it even if this doesn't really sound like your cup of tea go give it a shot it's on hbo max watch the movie come back and then we'll finish the episode and you can get spoiled away yeah (laughs) it's it's if anything it's an experience i I feel like you know yeah most of the times i don't walk away from a movie being like man that was a waste of time most times (laughs) but again whether or not you liked it it's definitely something worth talking about because even if you just get together with your friends you're like holy shit what what the fuck was that all about (laughs) that's you know that's the fun of it so maybe we should just get into the sum sum yeah. It's some some time. Woo. Okay. Let's have some fun, guys. Yeah. I love when I see jokes that I thought were funny last night in my summary. And I'm like, that's not funny anymore. You gotta say them. You gotta say them. <laughs> no, em. you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'm here for it. All right. It's a dark and stormy night at 476 Barbary, a cute Airbnb in Brightmoor, a rundown neighborhood at the edge of Detroit. Tess Marshall opens the lockbox to find that no key is inside of it. When her call to the property management company goes to voicemail, her night looks bleak. The shadowed neighborhood hardly looks inviting, and just as she gets into her car to make a new plan, a light comes on inside the house, and Tess repeatedly rings the doorbell to get the resident's attention. I liked this opening introduction to Tess I thought that it was really really good I liked watching her like repeat the lock Mm -hmm. key code in her car and then walking back up and it being wrong I liked all that I thought it was really a nice way for us to be introduced to this character without you know them doing too much like exposition like we don't really know much about her in these opening scenes but like you know we're like okay this is the person we're following um she's a normal person (laughs) she's about to be in a weird situation Yeah, I actually really liked the first, I think it was the first shot and the first sound that you hear because it's like all of these voices, like kind of moaning, screaming, wailing in some sort as it's zooming into her car. We're going from exterior to interior and I was immediately just like unsettled. Yeah. And and it, it also gives you that sort of audio cue of like, this is not a good situation she's about to enter into something like there's something about this house this area whatever that is foreboding and yeah she's not in for something good so i thought that was well done yeah i completely agree one thing that i do also really like about this movie is that i feel and i will say that there's a i think there are a couple things that you could cut from this but i will say for the most part that i feel like this movie is very tightly edited and tightly put together I feel like this is like the movie really hits the ground running. Like so much happens right away. Mm -hmm. And I know that it feels weird saying that considering what is going to happen later. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a lot more happens later, but like in the beginning, (laughs) it really, it really just, it kind of does away with a lot of stuff really quickly. And I think that it's interesting that we have kind of like one or two movies kind of put together into one cohesive narrative. I don't think anybody would disagree with me when I say that this first 40 minutes is the best part of the movie for me. It's yep. perfection. 
this was the most effective. I think this is the scariest part. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that the last half for me is still really fun. I just think that this first 40 minutes is so, so effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first 40 minutes is everything that I wanted this movie to be and more. Ugh, yeah. So good. Totally agree. And that's why I think the the switch was kind of was was more disappointing to me because I was like, yeah. oh, like this was I don't know where it would have taken it because Yeah. You know, it's kind of a narrative that's been done, you know, can you trust this person? But it was done really well. Mm-hmm. And with some insight into what it's like to be Tess, but also what it's like to be a vulnerable person. Yeah. It did a really good job of playing that out. So I think that's why I was like, man, like it, it, it a lot of potential. In the featurette for this, Zach Kreger, the writer-director, talks about what kind of inspired the movie for him. And he said it all kind of began with him reading a book that was basically encouraging women to pay attention to their subconscious and, mm. like, just notice red flags. Mm-hmm. So basically what he was doing was writing a scene that is just full of all of these red flags, you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And just kind of playing upon expectations with those and just kind of being like, okay, I'm going to showcase how scary this is by like alluding to all these things that could potentially go wrong. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. And showing how on guard she has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is a really, really, really effective showcase of that. Like while I was watching it the second time, I was like in my head being like, okay, so that's a red flag. That's Uh a red flag. Yeah. That's a red flag. (laughs) Like like I was just doing and like, we're all doing that anyway while watching the movie too. And I think that that, is also only further enhanced by who they cast to play the person. Hell yeah. Who is staying at the Airbnb. Like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> like one of the most brilliant decisions that this film could have made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's talk about Keith. Yeah. Let's get, yeah, let's, let's, get yeah Keith. let's get into the house. A very confused Keith answers the door and the two discover that they both booked played, this Played by Bill Skarsgård. We don't actually say that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Bill Skarsgård plays Keith and Tess is played by Georgina Campbell. <laughs> See, I shouldn't have cut the joke because I mentioned that he was Pennywise in the <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's fine that you cut the joke, but I I just want to give them credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent yeah. casting choice. Brilliant. Okay, so anyway, the two of them discover that they've both booked this house for the same dates through separate sites. And he invites her in and shows her his confirmation that he really should be staying here and isn't just some squatter. Shows her his confirmation after she asks for it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I also love the fanfare of her actually walking into the house. Like, I love the how it changes to an overhead shot and she walks in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a transition. Yeah. Yeah. And then the title card. Yeah. Yeah. Like, on a technical level, like, every time I see that shot, and I know it was in the trailer, I'm like, I love this. This makes mm-hmm. my heart so happy. Mm-hmm. She tries to leave because she wants to go find a hotel room, but he shuts her down. This neighborhood isn't safe. There's a convention in town, so there's no way that she's going to find another room. And he just offers to let her crash there in the bedroom, and he'll sleep on the couch. And together, in, in the morning, they can just call these people and figure this out. Okay. You know I'm going to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Two questions, actually. If you were (laughs) Keith, would you have invited her in? And if you were Tess, would you go in? Okay, if I were Keith, like, am I still Natalie? If it's Natalie just in Keith's situation? Yes. Or am I now Keith? Okay, if it were Natalie staying at the Airbnb and Tess knocked on the door, 
if she showed me her confirmation before I let her in, yes, I would let her in. If it was Keith on the other side of the door. If I were Tess, I would not have gone in without seeing his confirmation. I might not have gone in at all. I probably would have just gone back to my car. Yeah. I get why she did, though. Like, it was, like, one of those things where I'm, like, okay. Like, I was sitting there and I was, like, ah. I could see myself doing it, though, also. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was, like, I could see myself also going in because, like, it is pouring down rain. Like, he does have a confirmation. Like, I was, like, okay. Like, yeah, but even though he has a confirmation, I mean, I you don't know anything about him. I think I'm, I'm, I don't know. I would want to trust the dude, but also he's a fucking stranger and mm-hmm. it's the middle of the night yeah. and there are no street lamps past the house so i probably yeah. would have gone back to my car called the hotels tried to get a different room and if nothing was available i might have just slept in my car honestly i get that i the the neighborhood itself was so creepy to me too though where i was yeah. like i don't know like we gotta talk about the neighborhood because i want to talk about the setting of detroit we're what, gonna have to talk yeah, yeah we're gonna have a whole conversation so with that don't let me forget comes. that yeah, yeah. I, I literally wrote a note while Heidi was reading the summary where I just wrote Detroit. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's such a fucking tough situation. And I actually, it made me think about a situation that I had actually been in a couple years ago. Granted, I was with, I was not alone, but my boyfriend and I traveled to a different state. We went to Maine and we were traveling back. Okay, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was creepy parts of Maine. No, no. <laughs> We're staying at an Airbnb and it was one of those where like you have a room in the host house oh, and no. they had actually rented out a couple of rooms. So there was another guy staying there and we didn't really interact with him that much. You know, we weren't really in the house that much because we were out and about. And yeah. so we talked with him briefly when we saw him in the house and he seemed like a nice dude. You know, he's telling us about his kids and stuff. And then like at the end, we needed a ride back to the airport and we didn't have, we thought we could take public transportation back, but like we, we couldn't. So we were, we either needed to rent a car or somehow get to the airport. And so he was like, oh yeah, like, no, no problem. I can, I can drive you guys to the airport. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, at first we were like, oh, like, great. That solves our problem. You know, like we don't need to rent anything. We'll save some money. Sure. We'll think about it. We'll let you know. And then like, Throughout the day, we're both kind of like, should we do this? How much do we really know about this guy? Like, do we, you know, because you really, you want to trust people. Like, you want to believe that people are Mm -hmm. good. And it's almost like admitting that you don't trust them is admitting, it it makes you feel like a bad person in some way. I don't know. At least it did for us. Yeah. Because we were like, I don't know. Like, you know, kind of the don't get in cars with strangers type of thing. Mm -hmm. We were like, um, you know, we don't really feel super comfortable with this. So we have the option of renting a car for like a day. It didn't cost that much. Mm -hmm. We agonized about it. We went back and forth and it was such a simple decision, but we ended up getting our own rental car. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's like kind of like what I mean though, like watching this, I'm like, you know, I could fully see myself not going in, but I could also fully see myself going in. Like, you never know what kind of decision you're going to make in the moment. Because yeah. a lot of that is just guts. You know, it's just, exactly. it's just based on your gut. And yeah. she was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to, I might as well fucking try. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that for the most part in this movie, she's making smart choices. Like she's she not being naive. She's not being not cautious. Like she has her phone. She takes a picture of his ID. Like, yeah, she locks all the doors when she goes into rooms. I thought mm-hmm. that was smart. Yeah. And like, I like she's making smart choices i could see how somebody would be like i wouldn't do this but like for the most part i i i think i am on board with tess as a competent protagonist 
Definitely. I think that her empathy is what end up, ends up being a problem yeah. for her, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I agree that she does make the right decisions when she gets into the house. Yeah. And yeah, she's generally, she doesn't drink the tea that he offers her. And so she's just generally wary, which is what she should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think if I were in that situation, I probably would try to find any other way first. Of course. And I mean, that's the point. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, she has to go, it's a movie. She has to go inside the house. Like, that's... Oh, yes. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm willing to, I'm yeah. willing to buy into that. I know sometimes people aren't willing to just make that first hurdle, but I'm willing to buy into that. But, it's, like... Yeah, it's definitely playing off of that fear that's already there. And, and Natalie, when you said the director was basically trying to represent that, that was really effective. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie, but specifically this first 40 minutes, is, like, all about cueing the audience in to what those red flags are. Yeah. And I think that, I think that they do a great job of that. So let's let Heidi keep going and we'll talk about some more. Yeah. (laughs) As she settles in, things are super awkward. (laughs) Ian says, saw making her tea, bringing in her luggage, and even volunteers to wash the sheets so that she'll be more comfortable. The way that he's reacting to all this is so honestly like, kind of precious it's it's both precious and cringy <laughs> and i'm I'll like yeah i'm yeah. like because if i were her i would make me more uncomfortable that he's being yeah. so accommodating that's uh, true exactly exactly which i think is once again the point but like you could tell that he's just trying like, especially after we get the revelation later but like we can yeah, tell yeah, yeah. Like, he's also just trying to be a good guy. He's trying to put her at ease. He's trying yeah. to, like, be a gentleman. But there's also, like, like when he when she says her name and he's like, that's a pretty name. It's like, why oh, did you yeah. say that? Yeah. I know. Why did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, it's, and it is tough because, like, if like if I were Keith, if I were a man in this situation who was actually trying to be good and, like, do the right thing and yeah. not knowing, like, how to... Yeah. How to present yourself as not being creepy when her first suspicion is going to be that you're a creep. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I imagine that would be hard to kind of navigate it's, that. You, and I'd probably make a mess the exact of it. same way. Exactly. Like, I would make a mess of it. That's so funny to me is that like, I completely understand why he's acting that way. And I'm just like, please stop. But like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny though. And like when he goes outside to get her luggage and he's like, it's not even, not even up for discussion. Like I am doing this for you. I am being a gentleman. I am taking the couch. Like, Mm-hmm. You do not have to worry about trying to convince me to keep yourself safe. I want you to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, it's like, okay, like, it's, it's one of those really weird situations where you're like, can I trust this person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you're like, it was like Laura was saying, where you really want to trust people, but also you're like, this feels suspicious. Yeah. Like, when you're overly accommodating is very sus. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like what we talked about with Fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's like yeah, almost like an admission when you when you have that gut feeling where you're like, eh, like I probably just shouldn't. Like this is really convenient to do this, but I probably shouldn't. That admission is I don't know, it's just weirdly it weirdly hurts you in a way too, because you like I don't know, I wanna believe that people are good people and won't don't want to hurt me, but I also know that that's not the case it also feels so, like you're to me it feels like you're not being strong too like you know like right like because there's like this whole this fucked up thing in the world where it's like i'm a woman i can take care of myself you know what i mean mm-hmm. and yeah. like sometimes that 
like gaslights you into thinking you can do something that you probably yeah. shouldn't do you know what i mean yeah, yeah for sure and just like not wanting to play into the whole kind of like mean world syndrome like everyone out mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. is out there to get you and yeah it, it, it's strange so having been mm-hmm. in a not definitely not this type of situation but a similar one with a stranger like not knowing how to read a stranger basically if they're being mm-hmm. nice or not is yeah it kind of makes you reevaluate your perspective a bit mm-hmm I also, one of the things that I love that the camera does, like, in this sequence of, like, meeting Keith and, like, the two of them interacting is, like, he says such nice things, but then, like, it also, like, shows him step into frame and he, like, looks after her, like, he's trying to figure out if she's safe as well and, like, some of it just comes off really creepy. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that you brought up the camera because one of my favorite things about this film is the way that the camera moves. Yeah. One thing that they said in the featurette that was accompanied to my purchase of this film was um, <laughs> that they really wanted to split up the upstairs and the downstairs into two different like styles of camera movement uh-huh. and cinematography. Yeah. So everything that happens upstairs, they said, is very Fincher-esque, which, you know, obviously I was all fucking for. And... <laughs> David Fincher, for those of you who are, <laughs> for those of you who are not familiar, David Fincher. The uninitiated. I'm a very big David Fincher fan for, I guess I haven't made, I actually don't think I've mentioned that on a podcast before. I'm a very huge David Fincher fan. Statement made. <laughs> one of my, one of my like top five favorite directors for sure. But anyway, everything that happens upstairs, it's all very like muted colors, like mm-hmm. warm lighting, uh, mm-hmm. everything that, everything is very like graceful and precise in the movement which I think is really effective throughout the film, but specifically in these upstairs scenes, because it the camera is telling its own story. Like, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes, sometimes when we're watching film, we forget that the camera is truly like the storyteller of the narrative, right? Like, it's yeah. telling us where to look, and it is yeah. subconsciously telling us what to think. And I think that this movie moves the camera in such a way that it alerts you to the fact that you are being told a story in the way the camera gives us cues. So like the way the camera views Keith is making Keith seem suspicious. suspicious. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that some of this becomes really obvious later on. Um, like when she's trapped in the basement and then the camera moves to her phone and then she realizes she doesn't have her phone. Like I love I shit like that, that too. Silly. I like it. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> I think, but that's like a really obvious example of what I'm saying. So like, I think it really works subtly in these scenes to kind of show us the perspective of Tess without being too overbearing and still allowing a space for that doubt. Mm -hmm. That was good. That was well said. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) After Tess returns from the bathroom, uh, trying to like get ready to go to bed or whatever. This is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I'm interrupting you again so quickly, but this is another good example of what I just meant. Like, when she's in the bathroom, we see her very specifically looking at his toothbrush, looking at Mm -hmm. his toiletry bag. Like, all of these things in her brain, you know, she's being like, okay, so this checks out, this checks out. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's also weird that his toothbrush is plugged in and sitting on the floor, so. Well, I mean, there's not a vanity, it's just a sink. I know, but it's still weird. Well, I mean, where else is he going to put it? (laughs) I don't know. Plug it in on the dresser in the bedroom or something. I the floor. I I low key relate to to Heidi's like astonishment because I would not put it on the floor either. 
I think that I just outed myself as trash because I was like, yeah, or else you get a To me, I'm like, it's too close to the ground. It's too close to the ground. I'm, and over meanwhile, I'm like, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, you know what I mean? Sometimes you gotta put it next to the plunger. It didn't even have a cover on it. Like it Your girl is Team like- Keith. <laughs> Look, there is one scene that will make me eternally Team Keith, but like... That is, it the, is it the duvet thing? Of course it is. Oh my yeah, god. We'll get He's to it. Little, We're almost He's there. A we'll ghost get to it. Duvet. We'll get to it. <laughs> yes, but I, wow, I'm yeah, I relate to that. I'd be like, no, that's too close. No, it's too dirty. I would have moved it or something. <laughs> like, no. Anyway, anyway, that's a different matter. Yeah. Anyway, so she like comes down the hallway and like as she's about to like go into the bedroom, Keith is sitting there really awkwardly at this small table and he's clearly been waiting for her there's two wine glasses and this unopened wine bottle and he just looks at her and she's like hey and he's like i didn't think that you would want to drink this wine if you didn't see me open it because you know maybe i could have drugged you right. he straight up is like i realize you didn't touch your tea and i'm just not a predator case, you think that i drugged the tea waiting for you to open and I, yeah, I appreciate that he also is like, I get it. I understand why you didn't do that, you know, whatever. But like, it, I don't, I'm not here. But the drawing it. attention to it makes it more, it's like, it's both. Yeah. Like you can't, it's so unfortunate. Cause like, you can't have it both ways, man. <laughs> like, I know. And that's why I do think, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing to have Keith as this introductory yeah. kind of character because yeah, I imagine being someone who you know people are going to treat you well let's just say if a woman if a woman comes in the house and you're a man she's gonna immediately think like this is potentially a predator yes and so i can it kind of helps me take on keith's perspective of like if you're a man who is not a predator how do you say that how do you convey safety to her and like you don't need to worry about me i'm not going to harm you like without being awkward about it Mm-hmm. And even even in being awkward about it and in reassuring her, like that could also be a sign of like this dude's just fucking lying. Like, mm-hmm. of course he'd tell me he's not a predator because yeah. he's a predator. But the thing about it is that it toes a fine line. Because exactly. Yeah. We all know we've all had interactions with men who say that they're nice guys. Mm-hmm. And the moment you say that you're a nice guy, I don't believe you're a nice guy anymore. Like, yeah, right. there's all there's like something to be said about allowing like actions to speak for themselves and like Definitely. true. But what sucks is that if she had been quote unquote smart and not entered at all, we all think that's the safe bet. We all think that that's the smart thing to do. But like, mm-hmm. had she done that, she never would have found out that he's a nice guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like it's a no-win situation. There's the line. Yep. It's just yep. a no-win situation. That's what we and talked about with Fresh. It's the same. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, if you trust somebody, it could work out, or they could literally kill you, and there's not really. Mm-hmm. They could. It's a. It's bad. Whole food service. Yes. You know, or they could be a nice guy, and you know, yeah. some other stuff could happen that has nothing to do with him. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Oh. I also think that this is another like excellent use of Bill Skarsgård mm-hmm. as like a casting choice because mm-hmm. you really are primed to think he is not trustworthy. Yeah, he's got the yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Just look at his eyes. <laughs> it's it's yeah, they know what they were doing. And I yeah. think Bill Skarsgård knew what they were doing too. He's like, Yeah, it's great that I'm gonna be this guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. While the two of them wait for the bedding to dry, they get to talking. She's in town for an interview with a documentary filmmaker whose latest film will be on the Detroit artist collectives and communities. And he's like, no way. You should interview me. I'm one of the founders of the Lion Tamers. I don't know what that is, but I assume it has to do with art. Again, are you lying? Yeah. Play me some jazz. I, don't I mean, he didn't music. say that he, he played jazz. He said that he was a, an artist. Oh, yeah. show me some art. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them are bonding. And she opens up about her horrible dating situation that she's trying to get out of. And she goes off saying that men get away with so much shit. And if she was the one who checked in first, he would have just barged in here whether she let him or not. Did anybody want to say anything else about that? Because I was going to talk about the duvet. Oh, okay, oh, no. then good. No, I have something to um, say. So, we need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> so that that is what that is one of the lines I was alluding to earlier where yeah. she says, I think it's something like men can, you know, walk into a room and blow everything up or something and not think about the consequences and women have to be more careful Mm -hmm. and that when i saw that the second time i was like that to me is a lot of what the movie is trying to say thematically is this difference Mm -hmm. between how tess as a woman approaches situations much differently than the men in the in the movie and how they react to what happens and whether or not they think about the consequences Mm -hmm. is a major part of of the narrative Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah it's it's very Tess in this one little scene kind of articulates like the theme of the film like yeah it's very much so like hey I have to be more aware of everything that's going yeah. on I have to be aware of the way that of, of how I say things I have to be aware of the way mm-hmm. that other people speak to me I have to be more hyper aware of actions mm-hmm. and you can tell like to an extent he gets it but he also doesn't and that's affirmed later on yeah I will say that like I had never understood why so many people liked Bill Skarsgård until I watched this movie because he's really charming in this really like is. first little part, especially in the next scene. I'm like, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I kind of get it now. Like, he seems like a good person mm-hmm. here. I, I like literally, yeah. I'm in the theater watching this movie. And I'm like, man, I really hope he's not a killer. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> at this point, I thought that's what the movie was going to be. I've never seen. Yeah. I, I never heard anything about the movie. I didn't know anything yeah. that was going to happen. I didn't even watch the trailer. I just went on goodwill to see a horror movie yeah. so i was like okay so he's probably gonna be a murderer <laughs> yeah. yeah yep he's a smooth talker yeah look anybody that does this scene where he like shows her the way to put on the duvet and he's just like looking like a fool anybody that does that instant w in my heart oh like, that scene happened and last night i was watching it again and i was like nick if i didn't know how this movie ended i would be team keith like, I am here for this. Mm-hmm. I have done a full 180. I am shipping this so hard. <laughs> I know. I was like, maybe they'll just... Literally, I was like thinking, I was like, maybe there's like a third thing in the in the house and that's what's going to be the problem and maybe they'll just end up together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you got it partially right. <laughs> I was I was, I was, was halfway there. Yeah. Yep. It will be a secret third thing. But at the end, the theme will be that you should just trust people and people are good. Is it, though? I don't think that's the theme. <laughs> no, that's what would have happened if they ended oh, up together. If they ended yeah. up together. Love yeah. comedy. Yeah, that's, that's no. fully, that's that's really not what this movie is trying to <laughs> it's, No. Trying it's to not. say. Let's be clear. Yeah. I do, though, want to mention that also, like, after this scene, they, like, make the bed, right? And then he, like, lingers so mm-hmm. awkwardly in the room. Oh, yeah. And I was like... 
I was like, babe, it's been one night. Like, what what does he want from this? Like, he's expecting her to be like, yeah, let's bone? Well, I think they both want something. But they also don't. They're also drunk. There there was a charge there. There And they were acknowledging the charge. And then they were going to bed. And then they dissipated the charge. And then it was night terror time. (laughs) Yeah. Night terrors indeed. When they got to this part where the door opens and you hear the noises. What did you guys think was going to happen? Like, what did you think it was going to be? Cause I thought it was going to be ghosts. I did not think it was going to be ghosts. And I think that's partially because like I had seen the trailer. So oh, okay. I knew that there was something in the basement. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that there was something else. I thought it was going to be like, maybe more like a Texas chainsaw sitch. Where, okay. Like, there's somebody operating in the basement and they're like out here torturing people. I thought that might be more what it was. I was fully like, I was like, either it's ghosts or this is going to be like a the boy situation. Spoilers for the boy. Like, I, oh, I was like, okay. it's going to be one of those two situations. And I was like, I was sort of right with part two, but well, not 100% right. <laughs> based off of the title alone, I thought it was going to be like the Hills Have Eyes yeah. situation. That's fair. Yeah. The screeching, though, is really weird. Yeah. I liked it, though, and I think that's partially because of the weird cacophony of, like, screaming sounds that the film opens with. I was like, oh, I like it. Mm -hmm. This is cool. Okay, so Tess wakes up in the middle of the night to an odd screeching sound and realizes that her door is open despite having closed it when she went to sleep. She notices that Keith is having nightmares on the couch and goes to wake him up. This is scary. This part is tense. The door to the basement closes silently. I love shit like that. I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, do not like this. This is like uh, the one, uh, the night house where like shit's happening and like doors are closing. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I mentioned this to Natalie the other night because we're watching The Last of Us and I love when shit happens in the background and Mm -hmm. they don't really call attention to it or it's blurry and like I'm Mm -hmm. just all for it. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good camera stuff for me. Mm-hmm. So she ends up waking him up and like it. Keith seems really like awkward. really offended. It's really she, awkward. She Embarrassing. Like he would open her door and she does eventually fall back to sleep. And when she wakes in the morning to get ready for her interview, Keith is already gone. So Tess goes outside and she gets her first real look at the neighborhood. And it is not good. Rundown houses abandoned, falling apart, and there's, like, one house across the street that even has spray paint that says death from below. And the one that she's staying in seems to be the only one that anybody is living in. It's super spooky. And as she drives out of the neighborhood, she seems to get more and more concerned, but finally gets into the city and has her interview. Let's talk about Detroit. Well, my first question is, I, I am a little... It's not as believable to think that she didn't know what the surrounding neighborhood looked like when she booked the Airbnb. Like, you would think that she would, like, Google the address and do a street view. I don't know if if she would have actually thought... I thought she would have thought to do that. So, like, the whole surprise of, like, oh, in the morning, she figures out she's in this bad part of town. I'm like, would you not notice that before? I gotta be honest with you, like... Uh, that didn't. I didn't find fault with that at all. 
I was like, she, if, if it were me and I was on Airbnb and I saw a picture of a house that looked like that, I would not have assumed that the rest of the neighborhood looked as bad as it did. You know what I mean? Like, even if it wasn't A+, I just would not have assumed it looked, it was that jarringly different. Yeah. And I could forgive her not realizing it because it was raining really hard and it was night when she got I there. Can f- I can forgive that. But I guess I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I would have done like a street view. Well, you're obviously yeah. smarter than I am. <laughs> I, I would have done the same thing. I I think I'm with Laura that like a little bit of research goes a long way. But also you have to remember, I think as well, that maybe this was the only place that she could mm-hmm. book because yeah. of the convention. So if that yeah. was her only option, this is when her interview is like, yeah, maybe it didn't matter to her that things looked a little bit rough. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I can forgive some things. I was just, it was a little bit like, eh, yeah. I get it. I think anyway. that in terms of the setting being Detroit, mm-hmm. this, this, what we're about to talk about is where I think the movie falls flat for me. I think that yeah. this and the cop thing, yeah, the cop stuff that happens, I think that they are trying something here, but I think that they are trying something that they do not nearly spend enough time with. Yes. And, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think, like, to an extent, I can, uh, I understand it as, like, a, they have to make this house isolated. Yes. So, like, I, I I get that, but I'm just kind of, like, they're, they're really trying to do social commentary here on, like, gentrification and, like, yeah. mm-hmm. because, like, that's basically what, like, Keith is basically moving poor white people into a, into, like, a affordable area. Yeah. For and kind of rebuilding. Like, that's, like, kind of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And... I see that they're trying to say something about that, but I'm like, there's so much else going on that, like, I don't understand why you're trying to make this point also. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you said that because I was like, there's so much that goes into the history of Detroit and Mm -hmm. urban decay and gentrification and white flight. And I think there's, there's some, like, there are some scenes that kind of allude to it. We'll get to one later Mm -hmm. when they introduce us to the villain of the film. But yeah, there's like, there's so much there and it's so thematically heavy and there's a lot mm-hmm. to get from it. And I just couldn't, I couldn't really tie a lot into the main narrative. And I was like, is this just something that I'm not piecing together or what? Because I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I wasn't getting a whole lot from it. So it, it kind of helps that you, to know that you also didn't see a lot of yeah. tie-in with the setting, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad that we didn't yeah. get more fr- from that. I definitely, like, I understand it as a basic setting for the things that happen in the film, but mm. I understand it less as, like, a thematic element once we yeah. throw in, like, the, the the scenes with the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, that's a different movie than what this is to mm-hmm. me, and I just don't feel like that was really necessary. But, you know, to each their own. It it functioned in the way that it moved the plot forward, and I guess, yeah. like, that, at the end of the day, sometimes that's that's just what you have to mentally have to do, but I just think that it was kind of a missed opportunity for me, because if they had played it a little differently, I think it would have been more successful. Yeah, and yeah. to me, ultimately, I just took it as kind of, like, another, kind of like a red herring, like, something that you think is gonna be a threat. Like, oh, this is a bad part of town, you know, that's threatening, but actually it's not mm-hmm. what's threatening to her. Just like, yeah. oh, this is Keith, he's a strange man, he's threatening, when he turns out not to be a threat. So that mm-hmm. but that was basically how I viewed the setting, but, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't have to put it in Detroit, they could have put it in just kind of a rundown neighborhood, but, yeah. You know. yeah. That was the exact reaction I had had to it, like, after watching it a second time, was, 
why did this have to be in Detroit? Because it, like Natalie was saying, it it wants to say something more about it. And mm-hmm. I saw like an interesting Collider article about it. And they, I, I think, actually used the words. It was like a perfect metaphor for Detroit's housing crisis. And I wholeheartedly disagreed with that. Just because I didn't think it was perfect. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I wish that they had done more with it. Or not done it at all, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because I think you're right that there's a lot more that's going on in the film that works well. And this, this in particular, and I think like also like the flashback and the stuff with the cops is the stuff that I feel like doesn't work at all. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in reading that article and, and seeing what that person got from it. Or, you know, if any, I don't know, if any listeners are from the Detroit area yeah. or know a lot about Detroit, I admittedly don't. You know, I know the basics of the history, but I, I don't know the details. So if anyone has insight into that, I would love to know because that's a really interesting part of it that I didn't get much from. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I did want to say one other thing. The shot of her coming out of the house and like, and the reveal of what the neighborhood actually looks like is perfection. Oh, yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah. Love it. Okay, so the interview. Yeah. The interview goes really, really well. And when the lady asks where Tess is staying, she's like immediately shocked and concerned that Tess is over in Brightmoor because it is not a good place. But, you know. She's going to call her and give her a job. So maybe things will get better. Well, there's another red flag, obviously. Her face. Yeah. Yeah. How it immediately is like, uh, you're not supposed to be there. And that's another instance of, I think what Natalie mentioned earlier is like wanting to feel, because I think what Tess, Tess retorts something like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a big girl. I can take care of myself or something to that effect. Yeah, I'm tough. Yeah. yeah, I'm tough. So that it's speaking to that, like, you want to think that you can handle yourself and handle any situation that you're in. But here's a person, yeah. a local person, I think she's local, who knows the mm-hmm. area and is like, no, no, that's not where you should be right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tess goes back to the house and arrives before Keith. As she gets out of the car, a man chases after her and yells at her to leave the house and Tess is understandably terrified. Fully, this was horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, bro. Yeah. He's like, little girl. Yeah. Oh my god. That was was scary. I did not. That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, if you want me to leave the house for my own safety, don't say, come here, little girl. That will make (laughs) me run away faster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ugh. Yeah, his approach was um, not well strategized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I mean, if you think about it from his perspective, it was an urgency. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, to- that no, true. I totally understand. He's like, you need to get the fuck away from that house. Yeah. Yeah. She calls the cops, they don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> she is horribly terrified and begins to pack up all of her things and like calls the cops. And like Natalie said, they don't give a shit. And they're like, nobody can come because there's no available units. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like another comment on Detroit that like, there's just so much shit that's happening that they can't send anyone else. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or just their lack of, I maybe the you know just not even caring about that area because it is mm, mostly yeah. abandoned houses. They're just like, well, fuck it. Mm-hmm. We have more important things to attend to. 
Yeah, that's a good point. As Tess calms down, she goes on this hunt for, like, toilet paper and is able to find a stash in the spooky basement. As she goes to, like, head back up into the upstairs of the house, she realizes that the door has closed itself and locked her in. And even more unfortunately, her phone is in the bedroom and not on her. She notices that there's a small window and tries to find a way to get it open or anything that might be able to help her get out of there. While digging around, she finds a rope coming out of a hole in the wall. And as she pulls it, a secret door opens. This is, like, this sequence starting right now is, I think, the scariest part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that this is all really, really effective. And it's all very classic in terms of, like, yeah. <laughs> like horror tropes and horror setup. But I, I do think that it works really well. I like that mm -hmm. she finds the door and opens the door and is like, you know, that now, now it's completely like an overdone trope where she's just like, nope. And then just mm -hmm. goes away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it was, it was funny, but like at this point it's like, we, we see that all the time, but um, yeah. And then when I was watching this with my sister last night, like she does the thing with the mirror. So you can get the light to yeah. go and like see into the little hallway. And my sister's like, she's not going to go in there. She's like, there's no reason for her to go in there. And I was I mean, like, there is though. I was like, here's the thing though. Like put yourself in her shoes. You've been there for God knows how long and you're bored. Yeah. Like, I think that sometimes people like forget, not to misunderstand, but forget that boredom can make you do things that you would not normally do. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't even have to be boredom necessarily. Like there's a curiosity is a strong motivator. Mm -hmm. And if like, if you didn't know what was down that hallway and you saw that rope in the wall, would you pull it and would you go down there? Honestly, I wouldn't even think to pull that rope, probably. I'd be like, well, I mean, if I saw that it was coming out of the wall, then maybe I would. So maybe I would pull it. But also, you know, curiosity is a big motivator, but fear is also a big demotivator. <laughs> so it also, it all depends on how much, you know, what the balance is between those. So I tend to be more cautious in general. So I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say without being in the situation, obviously, but... Yeah. I probably would try to see, like, with a flashlight, like, what she kind of does, yeah. what is down there. But I don't know. I'd kind of be like, mm, I'll stay away from the dark hallway. It's scary. Know. It's scary. It's very scary. I I think I would have opened the door. Like, I would have pulled on the rope and been like, oh, mm -hmm. that's scary. <laughs> but I think that Natalie is right that she, who knows how long she's been down there. I understand that. Yeah. I might want to go check it out. Like, and I think it's also important that she hasn't heard any sounds. Yeah. Coming from that area yet. And to be fair, nothing is in there, but well, also, well, just not where she can see. Not yet. <laughs> well, there's no other living body in that part. Yeah. For but now. yeah. Also, I just thought of this. If it smelled bad, I probably wouldn't go in there. Because Ooh, I just yeah. wouldn't, oh, be able to, yeah. I wouldn't be able to take it. I'd be like, that smells nasty. I can't walk in there. Yeah. So. Yeah, it probably smells worse the farther back you get. Yeah. Definitely. So that would be a big deterrent. Yeah, AJ seems to react like it just gets smellier and smellier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think it's also worth noting how 
do you close the door? You can only close it from the inside, it looks like. So how do you get out? Oh, what a good cue. Maybe, maybe it's like one of those things where like you can close it if you like pull it a certain way. Or like maybe he had like a little method for how to close it. I mean, obviously, it gets she's closing closed it. And opened, yeah. 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 I'm just, uh, it didn't really show yeah. how. Like if I couldn't figure out how to close it and I just had to sit there in the basement knowing that it's there and it's open, that might make me more curious. What I would, that would do make me more scared. Is de- <laughs> I would I would definitely try to close it. So I was kind of surprised yeah. she didn't try to close it. Like like thinking about it right now, I'm a little surprised she didn't try to close it. When I was watching it, I didn't have that concern. But I do like that she made the little light so that she could see into it. I think that was Yeah. Fun. Very clever. Yeah. 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 I don't even like having like my closet doors open at night. So I would definitely try to close the door. <laughs> Be like, what shit is lingering in there watching me? My cats do that to me because I leave my door open because yeah. they like to come in and out as they please. But I leave it cracked. And so mm-hmm. like I have a light on my room and the hallway lights out. It's dark. But like sometimes they'll sit in yeah. front of my door. <laughs> like yeah. in my line of sight. So like they're looking, like, we're looking at each other. Right. But it's yeah. dark where they are and it's light where I am. Yeah. I have a good picture of that that I can send you later. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's scary. Like <laughs> It's like, girl, why are you doing that? <laughs> so once she does like set up the mirror and she's able to like cast just a little bit of light down there, she sees a doorknob and decides she's got to check it out, which is really just a bad idea. She yeah. is going, we should note that she is going against her gut in doing this. Yes. Yeah. She is. And she's very good at displaying that emotion on her face. Mm-hmm. The door opens into a small bedroom? It's a freaking SVU murder chamber. Yeah, exactly. It's, I was gonna yeah. say, chamber? I was like, this is like, her reaction to this I think is completely, completely warranted. 100%. I, If I saw this, I would lose my mind. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The camera, first of all, even without the handprint, the fucking dirty bed or dirty mattress and camera. Uh uh. And Uh -uh. it's an it's an old camera. So like this is whatever this is is old and it's super shady. It's very gross. There's a bucket on the floor and an old dried handprint and it could be shit. It could be a blood handprint. Who knows? Either one, not ideal. Yeah, mm-hmm. like when later when she's repeating it to Keith, I can I can understand to an extent that like him being like, I don't understand what's so scary about a bucket and a bed and a camera. But I'm like, have you never watched Law and Order? Because like if like <laughs> that looked so much like some yeah. shit that you would see on like the dark web. I was like, yeah. this is not. I was like, I this I, no. She has every right to want to get the fuck out of here as soon as she can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, like, that played into just, like, my expectations of the film was that, like, this was going to be some, like, fucked up thing that was happening down there mm-hmm. that they were luring people in for. So this was all tracking for me. And I was, yeah, I was like, man, this movie's about to get messed up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and it did. And it did. But not in the way that you thought. <laughs> just not in the way you thought. Way. Yeah. <laughs> it did deliver something. Yeah. <laughs> Tessa is rightfully scared and like runs out of the hallway and she hears Keith knocking on the door and is able to get his attention. Thank God. Mm -hmm. They're able to get the window open and she passes him the key and he ends up letting her out of the basement. Tess is freaked out and trying to tell him that they need to leave. 
and he has a really hard time believing her without seeing it for himself. He is able to successfully stop her from leaving and insists that once he goes and looks for himself, he'll decide if he's going to leave or not, but asks that she wait just in case he gets locked in. This is... I was so nervous during this part the first time I watched it. And, like, this is so infuriating. Yeah. Like, it's like, bro, if you don't believe her, just straight up say that you don't believe her, but, like, yeah. let her go. Like, yeah. It's, it's one thing to go down there and see the room and then come back up. It's another thing to just fucking keep going, which is what he does. Yes. Which that's is, yeah. where he fall, where the fault is. And I, you know, I understand wanting to see it for yourself. I can believe that much because I think that he did. He said something about how he's going to be there for a week checking out the area. So I can yeah. understand not wanting to just like up and run, run off without yeah. like feeling yeah. scared yourself. So I could, yeah, I could see him being like, well, you know, I'll check it out. And if it looks sketchy, then I'll leave. Yeah. But like I made this reservation and I don't want to just leave based on a word of stranger that I don't really know that well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also, on the other hand, makes Keith seem sinister because he's mm. what if he's just like pretending he doesn't know about it yeah you know that's true yeah. like that was a thought that i had had in the scene was like oh my god he does know he she does found know. out and now he has to like cover it up yeah. i was nervous when she got trapped down the basement and had to give him the key mm. i was like oh, yeah, is he gonna let her out like i was like oh my god is this gonna be when it happens you know what i mean like i was like mm-hmm. is this is this the keith is evil twist and so I also agreed too. I thought that maybe when he goes down there, he doesn't respond to her. I thought he was trying to lure her in. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. a good point. But like that wasn't what's happening. That wasn't what was happening. I think that's this, not is, what this is probably bad. But in my mind, I was like, okay, we've already established he's a good guy. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Thing. He did the duvet <laughs> thing. <laughs> I love how this whole time you've been the one who's heart. like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do this. <laughs> I'm too cautious. And then and the, you don't even think that he could kill her at this point. <laughs> well he had the night terrors and like he didn't do anything to her in the middle of the night <laughs> and Heidi and I are so fucking jaded we're like yeah he seems like a good guy but he's a murderer <laughs> like, oh goodness. He, he could be king of my heart from that duvet but like still not trustworthy <laughs> well as a viewer like okay if it were actually me I would still be suspicious but as a yeah. viewer I was like I feel like they've already established that he's a good guy so there's got to be like yeah. something else going on here so in yeah, my mind yeah, he yeah. was checked off the list like got not it. a predator there could not be another twist that was coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's got to be someone yeah. else. I do think, though, that it is interesting that he, upon hearing this, just really doesn't think it's weird. Like Natalie pointed out, like there's something, there's something to that. Like all three of us had the same reaction where we we're like, there's a creepy bed and a bucket. No, thank mm-hmm. you. That sounds like I'm going to get murdered. Mm hmm. Is that just like a dude thing to just not be afraid of shit? That is literally, I think, one of the big points. I think it's the, the point of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's like men and women just approach these sort of scene, these sort of like situations differently. Like it's not to say that like Keith wasn't unnerved down there. We've no we've no mm-hmm. way of saying that he wasn't, right? No idea. And I don't think I obviously like don't think that Tess is a representation of all women. I don't think that exactly you yeah. know AJ yeah. or Keith are representations of all men. But no. I do think that there is a stereotypical way that women will approach situations like this. 
or like a generalized way yeah. that women will approach situations like this. Yeah. And there are some ways that certain men will approach situations like this. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing two different ways. Like Keith yeah. is Keith is aware enough to be like, hey, can you just wait here while I go do this? But yeah. not aware enough to realize that this is not a good idea because he's not thinking that he could ever be in danger. Yeah. And we see this in an even more exaggerated fashion when AJ is in the situation. Oh, yeah. It's this idea yeah. that like women are t- attuned to look for those red flags. Yeah. And the camera positions the audience as being tuned to look for those red flags. Right. But with the men, they just do not, they're not trained to see those. They don't see those red flags. Yeah. They're not conditioned to, to think about that or, or yeah. Assess situations in that way. Yeah. So I think the other thing to, to keep in mind there is like the different levels of danger that a man would perceive versus a woman. Because like, like you said, I'm sure that Keith wasn't, you know, like, Oh, everything's fine. Like kind of like AJ was, Mm -hmm. um, Keith was probably unnerved, but like, I think it's the difference between one being conditioned to think that because you're a man, even if you're not like the strongest of men or whatever, that you could still probably handle yourself up against another man, certainly against a woman, they probably would think. So, you know, it's like the perceived level of threat from something dangerous. So, you know, I'm sure if you're a man, you could be concerned about being robbed on the street, robbed or stabbed or something. But in a similar situation, you know, if you were a woman, you would probably be concerned about being robbed and or raped and killed. Like, you know, just the different layers of danger and threat that could be applied to you, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I might get into trouble, but, you know, I'd probably make it out okay versus, yeah, yeah I'm going to get in trouble and be and, and wind up dead. Which, you know, is not always is not always true, but that's like the fear that's in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. I would, I would take it a little bit of a step further just to say that, like, I mean, as you said, we don't see Keith as he goes down into the thing, but I think that there's a difference between the situation that you just stated, like, you know, walking on the street alone and thinking that you might get robbed and this, in that, in that situation, there is a concept of a perceived threat in this situation. Keith does not see that perceived threat. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. see it. Like I, I think that that the fact that he can he sees that room and continues to go in the tunnel affirms the fact that like to him there is no perceived threat here until he comes into contact with something. Then it becomes a threat situation. Yeah. So like she sees the red flags immediately and is yeah. like, there is a perceived threat here. I need to leave. Whereas yeah. he doesn't. He is so you know just yeah like not seeing that at all i do think it is interesting when she is like telling him about everything that she does specifically say i don't think i'm safe here interesting she does specifically like call herself out Mm -hmm. like you see a bed in a video camera and like i i understand why she's like i as a woman am not safe here yeah and that's a really what? good thing to point out i was actually just thinking like you know how i kind of mentally checked keith off of my list of suspects was yeah. because she no longer treats him as a threat like she she oh, yeah. tells him everything that's going on like you, you would think that if she were still suspicious of him maybe she's just so freaked out that she's like she has to tell someone sure but like both. i think it helped me because at that point she was not like wary of him she trusted him so that made kind mm-hmm. of me as the viewer trust him as well yeah after she had been so suspicious so either way keith was a dum-dum in this situation 
Yeah. Keith goes into the hallway and goes into the room and he acknowledges that he finds it, but then just stops responding, which is irresponsible of him. Tess puts a chair up to try to prop the basement door open and steals herself to go down the hallway where she sees yet another hidden door. And when she opens this one up, she finds a terrifying set of stairs that descend deeper into the darkness beneath the house. See, this is her problem. She's too good of a person. I I know. I I like watching her do this and like the way that she's reacting to seeing all the stuff in this tunnel. Mm-hmm. She faintly hears Keith yelling for help and unable to leave him behind, she goes down the stairs and the spookiness does not stop. There's this iron door and a set of iron cages like for dogs and she starts screaming for him and eventually sees him crawling toward her in the darkness. She's like straight up sobbing by the time she sees those Mm -hmm. those cages and I do not blame her for that. And then that fucking shot of him crawling up out of nowhere in the dark. That was scary. (laughs) I I was like, is this the descent? What the fuck? Um, yeah. One thing that they did mention in that featurette is that when they were filming all of the underground scenes, they wanted them to be much more action oriented with yeah. like harder like key lighting and like mm-hmm. more aggressive angles. You see that even more so when AJ's down there, but I was like, you can already see that change in the way that yeah. it ups the stakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the obvious question is when you're watching this, like why would she go down there? And like you alluded to, or you mentioned, yeah, she's she's just a good person. So, and I was kind of thinking, you know, because we we're conditioned to be cautious of these types of situations, and probably would be like, well, hell no, I wouldn't go down there. Look how fucking creepy it is. I was kind of like, well, you know, if I were actually in that situation, I mean, it's a dude that she's kind of interested in romantically, so like she could be like, oh man, I kind of like this guy, and so I could understand her just not wanting to leave a person behind and being like, well, fuck you, I guess. I love the implication of you being like, well, I mean, she likes him. So that's she why does like him. Down. And I'm like, I was just like, if it was just a random person, she wouldn't give a shit. Like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> love conquers all. If I were in her situation, I mean, I don't know. It, it kind of seems like she was getting along with him and like, they had a connection about jazz. I don't know. I just feel like it would be hard to be like, well, fuck this person. Like I'm leaving. Well, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. She literally she literally doesn't know AJ at all. She goes back into the thing for him yeah. earlier. I just thought it was funny the way that you phrased that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah. She maybe started to like him a lot. You you felt the tension with the duvet scene. You felt the connection, the spark. It seems stupid, but also I could see it. I could see mm-hmm. it and understand why. Yeah. Like, yeah, we've, we've been saying that this whole time. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's true. And then when you hear him, then it's like, okay, he's down here. We know this for sure. Dummy. Well, he, when he runs into her or crawls into her, he tries to convince (laughs) her to quiet down because there's somebody else down there and whoever it is bit him. I loved that scene of her freaking out and then him consistently interrupting her to be like, someone else is down here. And then her finally being like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and she's like, this is the way out. And he's like, no, we have to go this way. And I'm like, dude, how are you, how are you more oriented than she is? Well, the re so she's trying to pull him back towards the exit and he's like, no, we have to go deeper because whoever bit me was over there back that way. Yeah. So we don't want to go back because there's something there. Oh, back Tess's way. Yeah. Yes. Oh shit. I'm I assuming that he got bit around where the cages were. Which like oh, raises an interesting question. 
Who did that? Oh, I think it was mother. You think it was mother? I think mother, mother bit him. Mother comes from the opposite direction, though. Yeah. Like, comes from behind him. That she she lives down there. I think she could totally sneak past him and him not notice. Yeah. Oh. I, that's what I, I guess, assumed. like, I always assumed that there was more than mother and Frank down there. Well, that oh. is a good question. I mean, that, that is, is possible. a valid later, question. Later, the um, unhoused guy does say that... Yeah he was making babies with the babies and he exactly. was using plural, yeah. plural language. And we don't see anybody else, but like, we, I mean, we don't know what happened. We don't to know what happened to we those. I assumed they died. But I assumed also, but like, that doesn't mean anything, but that is a completely valid question. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, as they fight and struggle to decide which way that they're going to go in the darkness, a terrifying naked lady emerges screaming and bashes Keith's head repeatedly into the wall until he dies. And when I tell you, my jaw dropped. <laughs> I gotta say, I, love, I loved this. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is a high I'm never going to reach again. Like <laughs> that, I did not see that coming. Right? And it was so gory, too. Oh, it was nasty. Mm-hmm. Poor Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. And I was sad. I was sad that he died. I was like, oh, and then you're like, Keith, vindication. But, you know, he could have still been a creep, I guess. But yeah. Who met his end? Like, what a wonderful moment, though. And, like, I know that we've said this, but, like, everything up until this point has been perfection. Like, this is everything. Yeah. I still think it's good. (laughs) Smash cut. Smash hard, hard cut. Hard cut. Hard cut to my man, Justin Long. AJ, Justin Long, is driving his convertible down PCH, singing and jamming until he gets a call from his agent that one of the actresses he worked with on a pilot has raised allegations that he raped her. Ooh, trigger warning, sorry. Yeah. And does not want to continue the show if he is involved. Okay, hold on. A couple things um, that I wanted to talk about. I liked the tonal shift here. I wanted to talk about that first because I thought that it was a really smart way to cut the tension. Like, I think that we reached an, an apex with the head smashing. It was <laughs> sudden <laughs> gore. It was unexpected. I love it. Um, it was gruesome. And then cut to something super, super lighthearted. I thought it was really effective and I really liked it. I also think it's a fun way to intro Justin Long's character. I would agree with that. Because this is yet another example, I think, of really great casting. They apparently wanted to originally cast, like, some, like, jock kind of guy. Like, some, like, kind of punk dude Mm. for this role to play into the, like, shitty dude bro aspect of it. But then decided to go with somebody more approachable and, like, generally well-liked, like Justin Long, to kind of shatter that, like, nice guy imagery that we were talking about earlier i think that's really effective and i think that like it's there's like a false sense of security that you get Mm -hmm. placed into when you're watching just justin long sing in a car (laughs) yeah like okay (laughs) because before i knew you know who he was and his personality and what he did i was like all right this guy you know he seems like a cool cat like yeah (laughs) we could you know i love the way he's singing and he's getting into it and Mm -hmm. uh, i i would say the tonal shift was jarring i mean it was supposed to be jarring so i didn't really I wasn't fully on board with it, but I did. It did intrigue me. I was like, okay, where where could this be going? Because, you know, yeah. I'm expecting it to maintain that level of tension and excitement. But, you know, I see what you're saying, Natalie. It's like you peaked and to, you kind of have to like plateau now and then get back to another peak. So 
Yeah, it, it kind of worked in the sense that it kept me interested in what was going to happen. But I think overall, it was a bit too much for me, at least. Yeah, I think the most frustrating part about it for me was that it felt like the story was no longer about Tess. And like, all of a sudden, we were Mm. about we were looking at this new character who I don't know anything about. And I was so worried about Tess, that we got Mm. this guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't care about you. Like I was instantly against him. Because Mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was make sure Tess was okay. I, I would agree with that. It did shift the focus in a way that I yeah. I didn't want it to go... Yeah, I didn't want it to shift away from Tess and her situation. Yeah. And then, like, he started, like, talking... Like, he starts talking to his agent, and, like, he's clearly not a good guy. And I'm, like, still don't care about you, but I like you even less now. <laughs> because you're gross. I really... I don't I don't mind cutting away from Tess at all. I feel like that's... I feel like that's something that we see in movies like this a lot. So, like, I wasn't super shocked by it. like if it was like a conventional slasher and it was like a group of people they would have cut away at that moment anyway and we wouldn't well, have known what was yeah happen. but so like if it, it, to me it felt it felt like it made sense to like skip to something different i wasn't expecting something this different yeah mm-hmm. i think like i think if we were watching a typical slasher though like i would have already met those characters that they cut away to probably. oh definitely yeah that's definitely so, true yeah like yeah. that like there's something a little bit different about that but like I don't know. I understand why they did this and why it has to be AJ, but I don't have to like it. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> totally not. Yeah. I did also want to talk about the way that this phone call happens. Yeah. I I wish I'd see. This is why I wish I had taken better notes when I watched it because I really wanted to point out some of these really specific lines of dialogue because I wasn't sure how in depth you were gonna go on your little when you when you explained it. But uh, I was not. I, it's not that in depth. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, like they start with very general, very lawyery, agenty language. Yeah. Where they say like she said that you were sexually like inappropriate or something like that. Aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexually aggressive. Yeah. Um, on the set of the show. And he's like, what does that mean? And he's like, you know, being fucking like a cagey douchebag about it. And one thing that I was really worried about when this first started, I was really worried that it was going to be like, he didn't actually do anything. Yeah. I was, there was a moment where I was worried that that was going to be the case, but like the more they talked, I was like, okay, no, he did something. Um, I really, I really, really liked the way that the phone call played out because the guy was telling him to calm down Mm -hmm. and like placating him. And you could hear that woman on the call getting more and more over it. The longer Mm -hmm. the conversation went on to the point where she's like, she said you raped her. Like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Like, I was like, she's done with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I really just liked the way that that played out to kind of show that gender dynamic in a very subtle way. Mm-hmm. In a way that obviously Justin's Long, Justin Long's character, AJ, is not, once again, just not aware of, is not seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was a smart and interesting idea to bring a character like AJ into the movie at this point to show a completely different way of not being able to pick up like subtext or not being Mm -hmm. able to pick up like signs or subtly subtlety, because like, as we keep going and figure out more about what happened between him Mm -hmm. and his co-star realizing, Oh, okay. Here's a whole slew of things that he just obviously did not pick up on. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. this is something that's inherent to him. And it's not just in this one situation that we see Mm -hmm. him go into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that's why his character you know, that's his significance in the film, I, I think, is just another example. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in a different way of showing how he just 
kind of blows through life doing whatever he wants, making mm-hmm. decisions without thinking about the consequences and without thinking about other people. Yeah. And his complete lack of awareness. So, yeah. Yeah. He is like literally the kind of guy that Tess describes mm-hmm. to Keith. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like so so astonished that he would be uh they tell him that she's not going to move forward unless he is not in the show anymore and so he's like yeah taken aback by the the possibility of that like are, how could they fire me are you serious blah 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 like yeah. there are consequences to my actions. his first his first instinct is oh so is the show not getting picked up uh-huh. yeah like he doesn't he doesn't imagine it at first that it's yeah. not that he's not going to be a part of the show yeah, how is this affecting my reputation? How is this affecting my career? Me, me, me. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, I'm the one that brought her into this show. Like, how could they even do this to me? I'm like, geez, dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, gross. So, after that conversation, he goes and meets with his wealth management guy to figure out how he's going to be able to afford lawyers because he's going to counter sue. And he realizes that if he doesn't sell his house in California, he's going to be at zero in a few months. But selling his properties in Michigan may buy him some time. And AJ arrives in Michigan as the article in The Hollywood Reporter about the allegations drops. His legal team is upset that he's left the state because it makes him look bad. And it's not good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he arrives at the house on Barbary to find Tessa's car still there, of course, and is really surprised to see that inside the house, there's like people's stuff, like they're staying there. And he calls the management team and they're like, well, nobody's been renting it, but also no one's been abided to check the house out because they haven't had any other bookings. And here's where we find out that it's been about, I think it's been a couple weeks weeks. since anyone. Yeah. 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 So we know how long Tess, well, Supposedly, if Tess is still alive, we know how long she's been yeah. down there. Yeah. Yeah. I love him being like, doesn't anybody come by to clean it? And then she's like, we have people come by to clean it before they come in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. this is a business. <laughs> yeah. I love how, like, as he, like, starts to go off and he's like, this is stupid. She's like, okay, bye. Like, good mm-hmm. for you, girl. Somebody read the Hollywood Reporter article. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that night. AJ goes to hang out with one of his old friends who asks him what actually happened with Megan. And AJ admits that she, and I quote, took some convincing. And even though she started out saying no, she eventually came around. Or that's what AJ thinks. Anyway. Mm-hmm. You know me. I'm a persistent guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. I loved the way that was shot. I liked yeah. the lighting. I liked how it was just a close-up on Justin Long as he gave the speech. Yeah. It was very obvious that AJ knows what he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he's aware that he did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's, if that wasn't obvious, then it becomes even more obvious when he goes home and tries to call her. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he Mistake. is very drunk. <laughs> yeah. And against the advice of his lawyers to not call her under any circumstance, he sure does. And he insists that he's sorry. And if she calls him back, he'll apologize again. And you know, he realizes he messed up. So he's a fucking liar, is what he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the morning, AJ does try to, like, go through Tess and Keith's stuff to try to find out who this could belong to, and is unable to find anything more than Tess's name on her MacBook login. He goes to check the basement, which is 
curiously closed, because if you'll remember, Tess did put the chair there. He flicks the light switch, but it doesn't come on. And when he calls out, only a concerning thud answers him. So he's like, pretending he has a gun to try to scare whoever it is into showing themselves and then when no one responds he goes and grabs a very small knife and decides to go be a fucking man and fuck them up the small knife was really funny for me (laughs) i thought that was hilarious and and the comments he's making like okay you're in my house something like i'm gonna go you're gonna get fucked up like it's like okay bro just amping himself up like trying to get the courage or you know stupidity whatever you want to call it too all of this was funny all of this i thought was pretty funny yeah because you also know he's an absolute slime ball so like part of you wants him to get fucked up yeah and you're like okay let's let's watch this bitch rip you apart like (laughs) (laughs) truly though fully armed now with that teeny tiny knife and his flashlight he descends into the basement and finds the mysterious mirror set up and hears thudding behind the secret door He opens it up to pursue and is both unnerved and also delighted at all the potential square footage he could add to his home. So he decides he's going to go grab a measuring tape and start getting to work, figuring out the square footage. That was the funniest thing. This was still funny on a rewatch. I laughed out (laughs) loud at this watching it. it I was like, with him watching him Google it, I was like, this is yeah, so isn't funny. It like, isn't it like he sees the room and he's like, oh my god. And like, you yeah. think he's horrified. And then it cuts to him Googling, like, <laughs> can you count an underground, like, basement as square footage yeah. or something? A so secret funny. basement. <laughs> yeah. Oh I think god. this instance of, like, the like injecting the humor into this, I think is good. Like, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this particular moment works. Because I also laugh every time that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again sees something horrifying, should be horrified, instead tries to, like, see how he can profit off it, thinks nothing of it. Yeah. Again, reinforcing what we've been saying. So AJ continues to, like, measure, and he goes down those creepy dark stairs until he eventually finds a pink-lit room where a breastfeeding video is playing. The vibes of this room are kind of awesome. Him with his fucking tape measure just going and yeah. going and going. I is love this color lighting. Also, yeah. yeah. I'm like, how long is this tape measure? <laughs> the whole setup with the video is so weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, um. <laughs> yeah. Hello? Is anyone down here? The measuring tape in his hand gets yanked away and he hears someone start to come down the hall. And as he then, in turn, like runs blindly deeper and deeper into the maze mother the deformed naked lady pursues and eventually he falls into an iron cage one i love the way that they use the flickering flashlight in this sequence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that i feel like that's kind of like an overused thing but here it is so effective and it's so spooky and i think that's because we know what she looks like already so like her like getting closer and closer just i think it just works really well yeah i agree yeah and it's it's kind of, it's like a game of how much does it take to make him realize that he's in a dangerous situation. So yeah. it's, it mm-hmm. isn't until he encounters something that is undeniably wrong or strange mm-hmm. does he actually start to feel fear. So mm-hmm. it's like not until he is actually confronted with a threat does he mm-hmm. perceive it. So I thought that was interesting. At the bottom of this iron cage, Tess is still alive Hell yeah. this was such a win i was so happy to yeah. see her i was too i was like that's my girl <laughs> she is tough flashback 
to the 1980s. 476 Barbary and the surrounding neighborhood look good as new, like a cheery little suburb. A tall blonde man with slicked back hair, that's Frank, emerges from the house and drives to the store to pick up some supplies. A lady there helps him find plastic sheets, diapers, and other baby care stuff because he's going to be having a home birth that I guess he himself will be carrying out. Mm-hmm. I'm Yikes. sorry, but if I saw this man on the street, you know, he might be a nice guy, but unfortunately, he looks like a murderer. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, sometimes people just look like that. Unfortunately. Sometimes people just look like murderers, and it's unfortunate, <laughs> especially yeah. if he is um, not a murderer. But in this instance, my instincts would have been correct. Yeah. I love this scene with the lady at the grocery store because she's so good at her job. Like, <laughs> she knows what aisle everything's in. I was like, she's, like, yeah. she's great. Doesn't she say something like, oh, bless you, when he says it's a home yeah. birth? Yeah. <laughs> I, that's so funny. You've got a midwife, right? Yeah. And he's like, it's just me. And I'm like, oh, oh God. Bless you. Oh, and, and it just diapers. feels ucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she, like, hands him this VHS about taking care of babies, and then he heads to his car and notices a woman in a cute yellow dress. And then he, like, follows her to her home and poses as a Department of Water and Power guy to inspect and case the house. And inside, he unlocks the window and then heads home again. Yeah, I would have been like, well, this might be, like, this might be showcasing a difference, like, I don't know, a difference in generations or time period, because she's just like, okay, come into my house. And I'd be like, um, yeah, I didn't like. You're not supposed to be here. I didn't order like any sort of inspection. I don't know. Yeah, just the the trust that she has in him just lets him in. I don't know. Strange. I also found that odd. It's a different time. Yeah, it fully is. I mean, that's how a lot of like sort of well known prominent serial killers did their thing. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Then when he unlocks the window, you're like, oh shit, that's how he's gonna get in later. For yeah. sure. <sighs> and he really seems to have a system down at this point. And like we yeah. know he at least has one other person, at least one, because when he opens the door to his basement when he gets home, you can hear yeah. screaming. Yeah. Oh, well, and somebody's pregnant. Right. She was Clearly. just the woman he yeah. was following was just the next target. That's how yeah. I that to me. Gross. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, yeah, somebody somebody's pregnant. He had his little jumpsuit already in the trunk, like, ugh, we just mm-hmm. fucking mm. Um, I think that overall the flashback itself is one of the things that I don't really think we need. I think it feels like yes. it was added for time. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I like I like that they're breaking up the narrative again. I think that that's like a fun thing that this movie continues to do. Um, so I'm not mad at it. I just don't think it's super necessary. It does help explain what we see later. But I feel like yeah. if we didn't have this, didn't have the guy in the bed, and he just found a tape, it would be just as effective. I also thought that the only thing that I can think justifies it being there is that this is like the third portrayal of a monster that mm-hmm. like we have in the film mm-hmm. and obviously rule of threes, but it, it does have a, a feel to it. Like it just got shoehorned in or like they needed to add it for time. And I, I agree with Natalie that it doesn't, doesn't feel like it fits. And I do think that that scene where they find him, and there's those nasty tapes. That would have been enough for me, mm-hmm. actually. I definitely think that like it is another example of like things to look out for, which I thought was interesting. Another perspective on that, like mm-hmm. of like why these like sort of red flags exist in the modern day. Mm-hmm. And I do think that 
the idea that we know what a monster this guy is at this point. So when AJ comes into contact with him in the tunnel system, you know, he doesn't realize that he's the, he's the big bad. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? He's the barbarian. Uh-huh. And I think that, I mean, you also get an allusion to this earlier when, uh, like, well, not earlier, later, but when the guy who lives by the water tower says she's not the worst thing in that house. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whenever that happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's another reason that I don't think that this flashback is necessarily warranted because he explains everything. Yeah. To us as the audience. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's kind of like, well, if you didn't quite get it from the flashback, here's what's happening. Yeah. We didn't really, it, I wanted one or the other. Exactly. So two things, two things. Mm-hmm. One is, yeah, I read that as he's the monstrous man behind the monstrous woman, quote unquote, monstrous woman. So yeah, we, we think that this big inbred woman is, is the monster of the mm-hmm. movie where it's, it's actually a woman who was made monstrous by the monstrosities yeah. Yeah. She's committed a victim, against yeah. her. Right. So that's one thing. Two, if we were to remove the scene where it shows him in the flashback, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out the significance of him shooting himself. We'll get to that in the the summary. But so obviously that would have been removed if we didn't have the flashback and we didn't have him there. And I'm wondering how that would have affected the story. Um, yeah, I think that like, that's one of those things where like, I, it doesn't feel super integral to the plot to me. So like, if yeah. we got rid of both of them, I wouldn't really mind. And like, also, I don't need a huge explanation for it because you can make up your own explanation pretty yeah. easily i think that the big thing is that he's never going to leave the house that's why he that's why he does that yeah because aj's talking about like getting the cops down here yeah. et cetera, et and cetera. that's why he kills himself yeah mm, okay at least that's what i that's how i read it i didn't know if it was like he was kind of being held captive by her no oh i don't think so. i definitely didn't take it that way because you saw how she reacted when he tried to go into the door yeah she's afraid of him who tried to go into the door when AJ tries AJ. to go into the into um when AJ goes into Frank's room, she like backs away like she's scared. Oh, I yeah. didn't. Maybe I just didn't remember that. Interesting. I okay. thought it was also oh, yeah. one of the creepier. It was a creepier like shot. It looks creepy when she's backing it away. Creepy. Yeah. 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 I didn't catch that or remember that. So yeah. Okay. Then that makes sense. Present day, Tess helps bandage the cut that AJ got from falling and you know like falling on his tiny knife. What a good person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. He's just I so fell dumb. on my tiny knife. <laughs> He's so dumb. Yeah. She desperately tries to convince him that he needs to stay calm because if he gets upset, then mother's going to get upset. Mm-hmm. I love that line, the way she delivers it. She's just like, if you get upset, she will get upset. I don't know. Just yes. the way she says upset is really when I was When I was watching this yesterday, I was wondering if it was because she's British. Oh, I don't know. The she actress is? is British. Yeah, the actress is British. And I was like, I was watching it and I was like, I wonder if that's why she's saying upset that way. Because I she's actually know. British. It was just a great delivery. And I was like, I love how she. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, I loved it. She's got her system in place. Like she understands the situation, uh, this mm-hmm. totally outrageous situation. She's got a handle yeah. on it and knows how to survive, which yeah. speaks to a lot. And she's telling him directly in the face what he needs to do. And guess what? He's not paying attention. Uh-huh. Mm-mm. As if on cue, Mother arrives and offers up a comically large bottle with a disgusting <laughs> hairy tip on it. 
this Harry, Harry this Harry nipple really <laughs> changed the game in 2022. I think that more people talked about this than they talked about like a lot of things. Like, uh, yeah, so gross. It definitely elicits a response, but hey, it's nasty. We've yeah. all been there. Let's just put it that way. Have we? I? I have a question. I have a really. If we were infants, question. we've been there. What do you guys oh. think is in that bottle? <laughs> oh my god, I that have is a no good idea. Question. Like, it's probably rancid piss. I don't know. I, no, I just. It, I'm just. Kidding. I, I, don't I know just really want to know what's in that bottle. We're not supposed to know. Is she still lactating? She can't be. She's not like. There's not a baby. Yeah. Because um, if you don't use it, you lose it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just I like mean, weightlifting. She's, she's like inbred. Who knows what that actually means? I, I don't know. She's not that inbred. <laughs> like, I mean, we don't know that. Uh, well, I mean, her from her age. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know what's in it. It's a mystery. Listeners, what do you think's in the bottle? A baby was being born in the 80s. That baby could have been her. I don't think that that baby is her. Okay, then it could. Then that baby could be her mom. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, here's my question. Would you drink it? If I I was in a situation, (laughs) I would 100% do what Tess said. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, I would put it in my mouth and then I'd spit it out. Well, I mean, I, she won't know. Well, yeah. You could yeah. just like put the nasty, like nipply part of it in your mouth and not actually drink any of it. Well, she might suspect if it doesn't get lower. Yeah. And like, to be fair, though, oh, you, you can see Tess fucking sucking on that mm-hmm. little, that little teat. I so mean, like, maybe that's all she's getting fed. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, Ew. it's gnarly. It's a very striking image, and I think it's really effective. I yeah. it well, is yeah. it is it's disgusting. Visceral. It is unnerving, and it's stressful. So like, I I really liked this part. Yeah, it's terrifying. And does it continues? I like the rest of it too. <laughs> yeah, it also is a good depiction of like what you have to do to survive, and taking it back yeah. to that like infant depending on their mother's milk, or I don't know, maybe it was formula, but having that be your source of survival and now it's twisted into this kind of sickening thing i think that's why it elicits such a visceral response is because Mm -hmm. it's like like we've talked about before the familiar but the unfamiliar Mm -hmm. aj straight up refuses to drink from this bottle but tess plays along aj still just can't do it and tess is like she just wants you to be her baby like Mm -hmm. just do it and then mother jumps into this cage and she like snuggles tess because she's like oh good baby you drank from the bottle and tess looks horrified i was like oh god and then aj understandably freaks out and Mm -hmm. mother drags him out of the pit and into the pink room where she tries to force him to breastfeed from her yep so this is a lot to watch and i think that they do a really good job with it yeah Mm -hmm. i also couldn't help but think about the kind of reversal of sexual assault and how he's kind Mm. of being forced to he's being put in that situation where he is it's obviously non-consensual and Mm -hmm. you know he's experiencing the terror and the lack of control and the power that she has over him yeah Mm -hmm. that's a good point definitely a good point i i really liked the way that it was filmed i thought that the like really sporadic like quick editing like quick Mm -hmm. cuts 
was really good and i like that you didn't see a lot but they were showing enough that it was like making it like oh god and it was Mm -hmm. all just happening so quickly like i thought that was really good and i love that you know this allows tess a moment to fucking try to escape Mm -hmm. and she does she is actually successful in getting out of that little iron cage and she comes upon the terrible scene of aj and mother she manages to sneak by but runs into the measuring tape, which makes an awful lot of noise and alerts Mother. With no time to waste, Tess sprints for the way out, but the basement door is shut, so she has to break the window and barely manages to crawl out with the help of the unhoused guy from before. Mother nearly grabs her, but then retreats back into the house, biding her time. Yeah, that scene of her, like, reaching out of the window was pretty good. I was just about to say that, too. Like, that was striking. The guy insists that Tess cannot go into that house to save the other guy. Mother is not the worst thing that's in there, and she needs to get somewhere safe. He offers her a place to stay with him by the water tower, but she insists on trying to help AJ, despite repeated warnings not to stay after dark. Yeah. It's one of those really shitty, ironic situations where, like, we know how terrible AJ is, and we can be like, the situation reversed, I don't think that AJ would be trying to save you. No. We know that for sure. Later on, yes. Um, So, like, it's just like, oh, girl, it's not worth it. He's not worth it. He's not worth it. But this is exactly what she was talking about earlier. Yeah, this is another instance, like, like we had with Keith, where it's kind of like, you know, I imagine it would be kind of hard to just leave someone down there knowing the danger that they're in. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. she does the right thing in trying to get other people to help first, which, you know, I think is probably, it is a smart thing to do. But putting yourself in her shoes, can you imagine just leaving someone behind to that? I don't know. I think that would be tough. I think it would be really tough to knowingly leave someone behind. But also, mm-hmm. she did witness Keith get his head smashed in. So, <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, I think, like, having seen what happens when people try to escape or, like, make a big scene, like, she knows that she can't overpower Mother and this is, her best bet is to go get help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. AJ, now that Mother's gone after Tess, manages to creep around and eventually finds his way to another room that has a bell and a pull cord outside of it. And Mother starts to follow him, but when she realizes where they are, creeps back away in fear. AJ discovers that the room has another person in it. It's Frank, the tall blonde man from the 80s. He's been holed up here and has disgusting snuff films of women he kidnapped, raped, and forced to have babies with him and created this terrible ring of incest. After seeing one of the videos, AJ is horrified at this monstrous man and confronts him, but the guy pulls a gun from his nightstand and shoots himself. I think that it's also important to just note real quick that like, before he sees the video, he thinks that he's just a guy who's being held yeah. down here too and yeah. is immediately identifying with him. And it's like, we're going to get, he's, I love this too. He's like, we're going to get out. I'm going to get out. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. man. <laughs> like he automatically identifies with this guy and is like, she is the bad one. And mm-hmm. then is like, oh shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like getting him water. Mm-hmm. I do remember now. The scene with like a when it shows the door and like the bell, I thought for some reason I thought that was like the door to the basement. So I got confused. And so when she backed away, I thought it was because she didn't want to go out. So that makes sense now that it's the room to the dudes. Mm -hmm. It's the dude's room. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he can ring the bell for someone to come bring him things. Outside the house, Tess manages to call the police from the gas station. When they show up, they immediately discredit her, believing that she must be on drugs because she doesn't look so good because she's been in the basement for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I think that this is funny, but I also think it's a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it stops being funny after, like, the first time. It just goes on a little too long for me. Yeah. Because I get that they would be like, oh... I mean, I think the point is that they're discounting her because they think she's just someone on mm-hmm. drugs who, yeah. you know, is just trying to fuck with them. Mm-hmm. But also it's like... And I get, you know, they don't have a warrant to go into the house and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. They're just so blasé that I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Come on. Do your damn job. Yeah. They end up asking her for her ID and she's like, no, I've been held prisoner for weeks and I have nothing on me, but I escaped and somebody needs our help. And they end up following her back to the house, which honestly shocked me. Yeah. But they stop her from kicking down the door and believe that the only crime that has been committed there is that she broke the window to the basement. They're pulled away by a call due to shots fired nearby and they clearly don't believe her. And then they tell her she's lucky they don't take her downtown to sleep this off. Like, what is the point of that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's like it's like we, we said earlier. They're just showcasing the neglect in the area and how the cops aren't really helping. I mean, which is like a fair point. But again, it just feels like it, it just doesn't it doesn't do enough for me. And what mm-hmm. it does do, it does too much of. So mm-hmm. it's it's like kind of a catch-22. Yeah. I think they could have just gotten rid of this and it would have been fine. Yeah. I thought, like, when she first walks up to their car and they're like, take your hands off the vehicle, I was like, okay, like, this scene is off to an interesting start, but I think you're right, it just, it goes too long after that. Okay. Abandoned again, Tess decides to take matters into her own hands. She breaks the window with a rock and grabs her keys. She tries to ignore the basement and gets into her car. As she's pulling away, Mother bursts out of the door and Tess ramps her with the car into the front of the house. Mother seems to pass out from the pain, so Tess heads back into the basement to find AJ. It is nighttime by now. I don't know if we mentioned that, but for some it reason... It is nighttime. Yeah, it's like she's out and about. She's, well, she's about to be out and about. It's time. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, her, it's her time. <laughs> AJ is also trying to find a way to escape as well. Armed with Frank's gun, this goes about as well as you expect. As soon as Tess sees aj's flashlight and tries to ask like who is there he immediately shoots her (laughs) and (laughs) that was so funny what's so funny is i completely forgot that this happened when they were walking in the tunnels my roommate was like is he gonna shoot her and i was like no because i'm just thinking about the end of the movie you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, no, he's a shooter. And then, like, literally right after I said that, he shoots her, and she got so mad at me. And I was like, I genuinely, I genuinely just forgot that he shot her. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're like, damn, this must be how Laura feels. Because <laughs> what I think, what I think, like, oh, sh- is she gonna shoot him? I think of like the scene from The Strangers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think like of this because she's like okay, sort of after the gunshot. It didn't. It's not like she- he kills her on accident. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But like as soon as he picks up that gun, you know. Like yeah. you know. You're like at least he isn't killer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He does end up helping her get out of the basement, but when they exit the house, they come to a terrible realization that mother is no longer pinned between the car and the house. 
Mm-mm. I love how she's like, she's not there. She was fucking there. <laughs> like, yeah. I had her. <laughs> she's valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two hurry toward the water tower where the man tells them all about what really happened in the house, which I kind of already said, and insists that they need to just, like, sit tight. So, like, we all knew that the minute he was like, she never comes out here, that she's she never good. gotten into here, of into this barricade. AJ disagrees and he, like, starts feeling guilty about hurting Tess and wants to help save her. But then he's also having this, like, come to Jesus moment about mm-hmm. what he did to Megan by proxy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's having, like, a, he's having his epiphany. Yeah, and the man, like Natalie said, is like, no, you need to just, like, stay put for the night. And, you know, in the 15 years that I've lived here, she's never come in here. And she just Kool-Aid mans through the wall and then beats the man dead with his own arm. It ripped his arm off and then beat him with it. Like, I gotta say, like, as somebody who does, like, things that are more campy, I thought this was fun, even though I felt like it was a little predictable. I hated this. Yeah, I was like... I thought it, I was like, okay, you know what? I, I th- I'm having a good time still. Like it's, it, this is what the movie's going to be now. And I'm okay with that. I felt so sorry for the man, but I also burst yeah. out laughing because it was yes. literally the second he said, she's never get it. She's yeah. never gotten in here. I'm like, of course she breaks in. Like, uh, and then there's just such an over the top death. Like I, yeah. I had, yeah, it. it made me just like roll my eyes. I was like, yeah. come on guys. Yeah, of course. <laughs> come on. I got to do it like that. I mean, beating him with his own arm is funny. Yeah. But horrible as well. But, like, just, like, her Kool-Aid manning in there, I was like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, 15 years, I've cracked the code yeah. tonight. <laughs> well, I in. mean, it's not even just that. It's that, you know, she's let him not... She's let him stay there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't take it as that. Yeah, like, she's just let him be there this whole time. Now, you know, he well, took something that's hers, and now yeah. she's enacting revenge. That's true. She could have gotten there the as, whole time. I guess the way he was talking, it kind of made me think, like, this. it was this fortress that he had that she couldn't get into. And then, I mean, that's what he thought, but that's just, that's not how I read it. I was like, oh, she's just le- been letting him be there the whole time. I guess, yeah. I didn't think about it that way. She's just like, hey, here's this dude. But he, she probably didn't know he was, like, actively trying to get people not to go into the house but i guess i mean because he wasn't very successful so she was like yeah they keep coming so he's not much of a threat i I mean i just i just i just took it as another example of somebody just like actively ignoring the the Mm -hmm. danger you know what i mean Mm. i don't know he did a lot test to it it. yeah i mean yeah but like it's a false sense of security to think he's safe just because she's not there correct that's correct yeah yeah all righty the two escape and climb up the water tower. AJ realizes that the only way that he's going to get away is by pushing Tess off of it and using her as bait. Yeah, it, this this whole scene is really interesting because, like, I, I think it really highlights this new dynamic that we are now about to talk about where, like, Tess is obviously struggling trying to get up that water tower and she's asking yeah. for him to slow down and asking for his help and he's ignoring her. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up there and he's like, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I distract her. And yeah. then he like physically throws her off the water tower. Yeah. After he's had this whole epiphany coming to Jesus moment about mm-hmm. how he might not be a bad person, but he's just made bad decisions and done bad things. We're like, dude, yeah, there's a pattern here. I loved this actually. 
because when he, when he was having that conversation around the fire, I was like, are they going to try to redeem him? You know of what I mean? Course, yeah. mm-hmm. I was like, is, is it going to be like, he saves the day and like, this is his redemption. And like, this is him like realizing what a bad man he's been. You know, I was worried that that's where we were going to go. So I was actually mm-hmm. kind of relieved when they got to the top of the water tower yeah. and he was still a bad guy. Cause I was like, yeah. that like, cause like people don't just change like that. No. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like, especially men who have been like, socialized this way like that that it doesn't happen overnight like that yeah so i didn't want tess to be hurt obviously but when i saw when i saw him do that i was like yep that is what should have happened (laughs) yeah Yeah. so after aj shoves tess off and is like go and get your baby mother dives after her catches her and cushions her fall so that tess will survive aj is maybe a little horrified with himself I'm not sure, but he goes to investigate. He is already fucking... On the defense. Yeah. yeah he's already convincing himself that that's not what happened. He's yep. already doing that. And mm-hmm. her. And, like, for a man like this, like, that's what you have to do. Like, you have to constantly be convincing yourself that you're in the right because there's no... Yeah. He's not seeing other perspectives. He's only yeah. seeing his own. That's exactly what he did with uh, with the... Megan. Megan, yeah. He realizes that Tess is still alive when he gets to the bottom and he drops the gun at her feet and tries to lie that she was slipping and he didn't actually let her go. Mother, who has somehow survived the fall, literally tears open AJ's head through his eye sockets. Oh, And yeah. it is gross. Like, you mm-hmm. thought that scene in Game of Thrones was gnarly? This is worse. It's so gooey. Looks like hamburger helper coming out of his eye sockets. So gross. Once she's, like, killed AJ, though, she immediately, like, turns back to try to comfort Tess, but is at a complete loss on how to save her. This is kind of sad, because she seems really upset that Tess is hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And she, like, kisses her fingers and puts them on Tess's forehead, and Tess ends up shooting Mother in the head, ending the entire ordeal. And then she stumbles into the night, or, well, I guess, sunrise. A survivor and be my baby plays and it's iconic. <laughs> the end. Yeah. The end. So what do you think about this whole relationship, like mother-daughter relationship that she has with Tess? First of all, why do you think she is there something more to her wanting to have a baby to take care of? Or is that just something that, you know, she grew up watching that video and that's all she knows and she just wants to do that? I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I think the film pretty explicitly say like says it's the latter. I guess what I'm asking is like, is there more to it? I think that it's I think it's quote unquote purpose. Like I don't think it has like a huge thematic purpose if that's what you're asking. Mm -hmm. I think that its purpose in the film is to quote unquote humanize the mother character Mm -hmm. because like as we kind of like start start to understand more and more as the film goes on, like she's like a victim of abuse. Yes. And this is something that she's doing to, like, you know, do it for herself. I'm not saying what she's doing is right, obviously, because it's very much so not. But, like, no, this no. is, like, a natural progression of her trying to take something for herself and take care of something. Mm-hmm. So I think it that's I think that kind of serves to make it more of an emotional impact at the end. Not that we're sad to see Mother die, but, like, we are kind of like, oh, wow, you know, she is really just, you know, not a, a victim. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's the way I read it was, like, she seems monstrous, but all of her interactions, if you, well, if you do what she says, if you play the game, basically, mm-hmm. she's, she treats them with kindness, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, I guess I, I took that to mean like reinforcement of the idea that she's not the monster of the film. It's it's mm-hmm. Frank, the, the dude. But yeah, I guess I was just wondering if either of you got more than that from it, just to see if there was anything more to read from that. So I I think yeah, I think Natalie like hit it right on the head. Like that was exactly what I had taken away from it too. That she was like conditioned into it mm-hmm. and like that's that was all she knew. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting when the the guy that was trying to protect her says, I think they're around the campfire and he's explaining, you know, everything that happened. And he said, she's a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. And so that kind of brings to mind this idea of like the reproduction of this type of, I don't know how I want to put it, but like something with like all she knows of how to do is like grow up to care for something. So she wants to have that baby. Yeah. So it's almost like, um, yeah, she's a copy of what she's seen come before her yeah. of all the all the abused women before her. And so she's similarly abused and just only knows mm-hmm. that she basically exists to care for something, mm-hmm. to care yeah. for a baby. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting, just that phrasing that he used yeah. and how that might play into everything. And it's like the potentially the one like positive interaction she can have with people. Mm-hmm. right yeah because i'm sure she's not really getting that from anyone else i mean it's probably as far as we know it's just her down there or it was just her as far but as there's room know. to yeah there's room to question whether there were others yeah i think my big question for you guys is how did the rewatch treat you we already talked about like how we kind of felt about it the first time we watched it mm-hmm. for me Watching it a second time, I did like it a little bit less because I didn't have the novelty of not knowing what was going to happen. That for mm-hmm. me was a huge part of why I liked it so much in the first place. I liked the yeah. twists. I liked the suspense. I liked how it kept me guessing. So like knowing what was going to happen, I was a little more aware mm-hmm. of the parts where it kind of lagged a bit. And I didn't like it just as much. I still had a good time, but it was not as yeah. fun as it was the first time around. I think Laura had kind of touched on this earlier, but... um The second time around, because I knew what to expect with Justin Long and, like, I knew what was coming, I was prepared, so I did enjoy it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like, you were able to meet the movie on its own terms. Yes, exactly. And I did not, it's never going to rise to mine, so I had to just stoop down, (laughs) I guess. Just joking, I'm just joking. I'm just I mean, I get that. Sometimes sometimes that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes yeah. you're watching a movie and it's not what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. But once you relook at it from, like, a new perspective of, like, what it's yeah. trying to do, you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I will, <laughs> I will say, though, that when I watched the movie the first time, the first, like, 40 minutes of the film or whatever, like, up until, like, Bill Skarsgård dies. That's at the 43-minute mark. Yeah, I did not realize that that was 43 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought we had been, like, 20 minutes into the film. Mm -hmm. So, like, the rest of the film after that just felt so long. And I realized on a second watch that I was wrong about that. And that it was about halfway through or whatever. But then I was, like, more aware that the second half, like, drags for me. And I think mm-hmm. that's partially because of, like, the camp. And I start to feel like it's it's just being silly and it doesn't make sense. But I did enjoy it a little bit more. But it's not really something that I feel like I love still. Yeah. 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 I had a, a very similar experience. So 
as I kind of said at the beginning, like the second time around, I enjoyed it. I liked it more because I, yeah, was able to meet the movie where it was and be like, okay, well, even if I don't necessarily like it that much, I can still try and decipher what I think it's trying to say or yeah. know, what, what themes are at play. So I typically do like movies more when I try to do that because I just, I feel like I'm trying to understand them more. So yeah, it was a more enjoyable experience the second time because I was able to connect the dots a bit more. Cool. I definitely feel like this was a fun movie. I think it really shows that there we're at like a turning point, I think, for what horror is going to look like in mm-hmm. the next few years. I think obviously we're in a time period right now where everything is kind of popular. Like you can find a home for whatever kind of thing you're interested in for the genre. But I think that people are going to start experimenting a little bit more and trying things that are a little off the beaten path and a little more weird. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's awesome. I do kind of wish this movie would either, I wish it was either more of one thing or the other. Like I wish it was more like the first half or more like the second half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think that would have made it overall more successful as a cohesive film. But I do really appreciate it for what it is. And I really had a fun time watching it and I thought it was fun to talk about it with you guys because I do think that it is saying some interesting things mm-hmm. and packaging them in a way that we haven't really seen done in this exact way before. So yeah. it felt like a, a fresher way to take on some of the same ideas. And if you stack it up with a lot of other movies that came out last year that are saying similar things, so like Fresh, like Watcher, like Men, Men this is very different from all of those and mm-hmm. I think is stronger because of it. I just wish that there were certain aspects of it that were a little more fleshed out or, you know, better utilized. I think that's completely valid. Well, it sounds like that is our conversation on Barbarian. I hope that you guys all enjoyed talking about this film as much as I did. I think that it was kind of a different choice for us, but thematically is pretty much still very much so on track. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, um, listeners, you also enjoyed this discussion. Please let us know what you thought of the film Barbarian on our Instagram, where we are going to post about this episode. We would love to hear what you think. And also, please let us know what movies you would like us to cover in the future. If you want us to go more campy and insane, or if you would like more straightforward, uh, normal narratives. (laughs) Okay, so this was my pick. So that means next up is Heidi, right? Yee, it is my pick. (laughs) Our next pick is going to be a return to my favorite subgenre, possession films. And we're going to watch The Taking of Deborah Logan. Nice. I'm very excited about this one. I like this movie a lot. I have not seen it. It's, it's, um, we'll see. We'll see what you think. We'll see what you think. I really like it, but we'll see what you think. (laughs) (laughs) We will see. This is going to be fun for us. It's going to be our technically our second found footage movie because I'm going to count Cloverfield oh, yeah. as our first one and well, no, another third. possession film for us. It's our third then because the medium counts. Oh, the medium. Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. I completely forgot that the medium is found footage, but it fully is. Um, okay. So that's going to be really exciting. Keep your eyes peeled also for another mini-sode or commentary. We have a couple ideas kicking around, so I'm sure one of those will pop up here shortly. Please let us know if you're enjoying those either shorter form episodes or commentary episodes. They're fun for us to make, but um, obviously if it's not something you guys enjoy watching or listening to, not watching, um, (laughs) we would like to keep on trend with things that you are going to have more fun with. 
yeah so just let us know please follow us on instagram at slashers prefer blondes podcast and also please um rate and review us on the podcatcher of your choice it really means a lot to hear what you guys are thinking and that you are really enjoying what we're doing and the more reviews and ratings we get the more people we can reach with our platform which is really cool i think that's it about it for us this time around please be careful when you are booking your airbnbs in the near future and <laughs> we'll see you all in the next episode <laughs> yes use street view to check out the neighborhood because or apparently Trulia. a bad neighborhood means that there's going to be a woman living in the basement <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> so stay, stay spooky, spooky. <laughs> we'll Wait, see you guys in the next stay one stay spooky <laughs> stay spooky toot toot oh god <laughs> end of podcast <laughs> <laughs>